0: It's good to be together in the house of the Lord in the new year. And yes, my grandson was born since I've seen you last. So, whew, God was really, really good. And uh, uh, we actually, uh, anyway, there's is Christmas Day. We ended up getting to spend a lot of hours with my oldest daughter and our oldest grandson, and we didn't expect that. And then we spent 17 hours on the road the day after Christmas. Got in at 8 o'clock in uh, Ormond Beach, Florida. Um, Went to bed about 10.30 when we were wonderfully awoken at the 4 a.m. with, hey, mom and dad, my water just broke. So uh, it was pretty exciting, and uh, it was great to be there. God was too good to us. And we were just excited to spend the next few days down there. Some weeks. So we we got we're a little tired. We're, we're grandma, and grandpa tired, we're road weary, tired, but we are we are good. We're excited for the new year, excited about what God is is doing um, in in our lives. We're about to enter into a new series called Move through the book of Acts. We'll be Acts chapter one. You go ahead and open your Bibles there. Moving is not an easy thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. Moving from one place to another place of a new house and new beginnings. But things that move are often we, we are captivated by things that move quickly. We live here in Indianapolis and we love the Indianapolis five hundred because there's just something about it. I mean there's there's something about it. the first time I went out to the tractor in practice and I watched those cars cross that, that row of bricks. And then by the time I heard them cross that row of bricks, they were already down at turn one making the turn. And I'm going, that's fast. You know, that is incredibly fast. We're moved by that. We're moved by, by the cheetah uh, of the Serengeti that can run so quickly uh, on this earth. And we're, we're, we're impressed by all of them. But have you ever thought about things that move slowly? The slowest things on this earth, the slow things of this, the, 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 the tortoise is one of them. And we, we think about it, we always think about the tortoise and the hare, right? We know that the tortoise is slow, very, very slow. Uh, and, it, and it is rather slow. And if you actually put it on a race for 100 meters, it would take that tortoise 18 minutes and 38 seconds, seconds they average, to cross the finish line. That's a long time. That's slow. Actually, the slowest mammal is a sloth. It is, it is relatively really slow. It actually only moves at 0.1 mile per hour. Zero point, I mean, that's. Just, uh, I mean, it's like watching paint dry. That's what I'm talking about. It is so slow. But even that, when you stop and think about things that move slow, it's actually quick in this world. The sea anemone. Everybody knows what a sea anemone is, right? Those are little things. that got tentacles, and they're colorful. They actually do more than just sit there and do this. They actually move with their feet. They have feet. It's a foot, and it actually moves on stone and rock. They they actually move so slowly that if it was in the same 100-meter race, it would take them 52 days. 52 days to just go 100 meters, that's how slow they go. Geologically, the slowest shifting plate on Earth travels at 9.5 millimeters per year. That, that's slow. But the slowest thing on our body that that grows. I bet you probably can't guess that. I'm not going to ask you to, to, to throw out names or things like your toenails. So your toenails are the slowest growing thing on your body. Sometimes you maybe look at your toes and think, man, they, they seem, mine seem to grow pretty quickly uh, and pretty long. But I'm saying they say in order for, for which who would want their toenails to grow 100 meters, right? First of all. But let's use the same ca- calculations. If it was to grow, your toenails would allow them to grow to be that long. It would actually take 8,352 years for your toenails to grow that long. of course, again, who wants them to grow that long, right? That's slow. Have you ever thought about God being slow? Have you ever looked at your life and thought, God, what are you doing? Are you moving at all? You know, Are you doing anything? Is anything happening whatsoever in life and in my life and in my family? Where are you at in the midst of our world, and our history of our world? And we can often think of our mind that God is slow. The psalmist thought it that way. As a matter of fact, in a good way, when he describes God in Psalm 103, verse eight, he, says, he describes him as being slow to anger. I like that characteristic of God, that he's not quick to anger, that he is slow to anger. I love that about him. And many of our experiences, we perceive God to be slow. He doesn't respond quick enough. I don't know how many conversations I've had with people. I've been praying. I've been praying. I've been praying for years. Well, we'll keep praying. Yeah, but God, keep praying. No, we want things like a child, right? Have you been around a two-year-old lately? They don't want it in a few minutes. They want it now. If they're telling you they want something, they want it immediately, and that's the way we are with God. God, move now. God, do something now. God, intervene now. Do something now, and God's going the same as we as parents do. What do we say? Wait. Not now. It's not the right timing. Just hang on. And yet God is often moving in ways we do not see, and we wonder what God is up to. And I, I want us to encourage us that as we move into this series about moving and about God moving. And the question is, I, I want us to have a heart that says, God, I want to be a part of your movement. I want to be a part of what you're doing, and by faith I trust that you are doing something and this morning we want to remind ourselves and go back into time and into history and to see how God has been moving historically as well as how God has been moving in your own life. And I want you to ponder on that as we head into this new year. God, how have you moved in my life in the last year, in the last two years, in the last five years, in the last ten years? And look at his goodness and his greatness. The Apostle Luke continues his gospel. We we've we've finished up the, the gospel of Luke that uh, we did this past fall. And Luke is the author of Acts and this gospel that is no longer focused on Jesus, but now the disciples, now those followers, now those guys that couldn't get it right when Jesus was here, entrusted with the good news of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit to to move forward. And Luke wanted to write to Theophilus to let him know that what was yet to come, that the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus was not the end. But rather, it was a part and in the middle of a grander story that was yet to be written that would have its effect upon all the nation. The book of Acts was written to continue to explain the movement of God through the gospel, through his people, to people, to all peoples, to the corners of the earth. The grand scheme of God's plan was even bigger than what we think of at Christmas time and at Easter. The grand plan of God was to reach all people of all generations. And over the next four months, We'll be joining with the first century church looking at what God is doing and how God is moving and restoring man back to himself. So Acts chapter one, verse one, very short text this morning, not long at all, but one that takes us back. He writes this in Acts one. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Doesn't seem like much, does it? And yet, We need to stop because it takes us back to what the Spirit through Luke was trying to communicate to to, to Theophilus, but also to us. Jesus began, He began something, He started something. God was a part of starting that which was important. Luke wanted Theophilus to realize the teachings of Jesus, God in the flesh, that which he said, that which he did, was planted into the souls of man, and it would grow like a mustard seed. It would produce a harvest, and his work on the cross and in the empty tomb were were only the beginning. And so let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to what what God started, and God's work goes way, way, way back from the beginning. As a matter of fact, we need to go back to the garden, to creation, and look from the creation to the cross. I love reading stories that say once upon a time, don't you? There's something about, there's magical about that phrase. That's all you have to say, once upon a time, and your heart and your mind and your soul kind of starts to lean in, because you can't wait to hear about what's happened. It happened, right? Because you know an adventure is about ready to happen. You know that these certain characters that you're going to find out about are on this journey, this journey that was a challenge, a journey which will will create joy and sorrows, a a journey that will probably experience loss, a journey that, that anticipates them going against an enemy that is large, that is hard to overcome. It's the one in fighting that enemy and overwhelming, and in just that right moment, and even we have a fear that our heroes, our, our adventurers, will not survive. The greatest hero of all swoops in and rescues and intervenes and guards and protects. The hero that is pure, that is good, that is loving. The hero that is one that is able to, to stand up and, and guard the, the adventurers and is more powerful than all the enemies combined. And we celebrate as we get to the end of the book when we watch these adventurers rise in victory with the one who brought them out of certain death into this grand adventure of life. Sounds like a great fairy tale, doesn't it? Does it sound like a few books you've read? It has for me. But you know what? It's my story. It's our story. It's, it's not made up. It's not pretend. That That is the story of God of created the heavens and the earth. The adventure is no less than Adam and Eve themselves. When Satan, the evil one, entered in and outwitted man, he did not outwit God whatsoever and when Adam and Eve submitted that sin had brought death into this world and we were separated. Mankind was separated from God. Sin did that and we now live in this world still with the ramifications of sin that entered in all the way from the beginning. But in that moment, God promised, in that moment, God began to work, began to, to put in place those things, and he promised that one day all things would be made new. It was through Abram, who he then called, gave a new name, Abraham, because he was the father of great nation, even though he didn't have a child at, the, at that moment in the later part of his life, that he would be raised a nation and a great nation to bless all nations, even though that nation itself found itself in captivity, God would be working to free that nation. And even through that nation, that they would see God work and God would give them the laws and God would show them his power and his presence would change everything. He would deliver his people out of the, into the promised land, out of Egypt. and They would experience things, man, that would be so cool. As I read through Genesis, if I read those texts in the Old Testament, don't you ever wish that I could be there? only to see the seas part, only to see the the flame and the clouds to lead them. I'm not too sure about the manna stuff. You know, eating manna in the desert for all those years, I'm not sure was, was the greatest thing. But to see God work and to know that God was with you, God was providing for you, God was protecting you, and God all along was moving in a way to draw mankind, us, back to him. As a matter of fact, he wouldn't stop. No matter what evil, and whatever no what the separation, God would not stop, and God's heart and his desire was to meet with man, and that's why he gave them the design of the tabernacle, heaven on earth, this moving thing for the nation of, of Israel that they would move from, from place to place before they were in the promised land, this meeting place of God and mankind. It was a place that, that man, in spite of his, his, his sin, could come and could, could join with God even though there was a sense of a distance and even though there was still a barrier. And God was driven to meet with man. That's the work of God. That's the work of our God still today. He has this desire, and from the building of the tabernacle to the building of the temple, God dwelled amongst his people, now no longer in a place that moved, but now in a permanent place in the city of Jerusalem. But even for God, that was not close enough. It wasn't his goal to be close. It wasn't God's goal to be alongside of. It was God's goal that he may dwell in the hearts of individuals, that he would dwell in us through his Holy Spirit and there was still work that had to be done and that went to the cross to not only dwell among us but to live in the hearts in our hearts and God did the unthinkable, right? When we think about the gospel, when we think about Jesus, when we just celebrated Christmas, right? Have you ever stopped and you read the story of Christmas? went, This is crazy. God chose to come in flesh for us. It's a crazy plan. This won't work. How is this possible? How will will this accomplish anything? How will this draw us back to you? How will this work in any way? And yet it was was God's plan that that he came in flesh. Jesus, born of a virgin, bringing glory to the Father, revealing God was the promise keeper, that Jesus was the one, the anointed one. He was the Messiah. He was the one who would would lay his life down in order that we may be saved, that Jesus himself, God in the flesh, would come and take upon himself the, the sin of humanity. In order that it may be may be washed away, for the Old Testament system, of uh, the sacrificial system, only pushed sin, man's sin away, held them off. But Christ came in order that we may have total reconciliation and restored, be restored back to God. Paul writes to the Romans in the ver- chapter six, ver- chapter five, verses six and following. He says, "You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly." Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's the good news. That's the story that God has been driving to. That is what he's been calling us to, that Jesus not only died, but he rose and overcame, has overcome our greatest foe, death itself. But how did we get from the cross to here, to sitting here and worshiping and singing songs? How did we journey from there? How did we journey beyond that and through the power of that and the ascension of Jesus Christ from the cross to here, we learned that Jesus, after his ascension, gave us another promise. The power of the Holy Spirit came upon these men, these 12 men, this, this, this small group, and when these 12 men empowered with the Spirit, you didn't find a Peter that was timid and would not proclaim who Jesus Christ was. Instead, you had a Peter that stood up and proclaimed that Jesus was the Son of God, even though, no matter what they may do to his body, even though they may threaten him, even though they may kill him, it did not matter because the good news of who Jesus Christ was had to be proclaimed. Proclaimed. It had to be told, and the Holy Spirit transformed them. It awakened them in a movement of that Pentecostal day, that day of Pentecost started, and that day a handful, and from that handful to 3,000, from that those 3,000 to 5,000, and all of a sudden Jerusalem began to be transformed because they began the Holy Spirit moving, moving in individuals' lives and transforming not only a city, not only a nation, but transforming the world. And Satan, of course, did everything he could to squelch. And so he began to persecute through Rome, through the religious leaders, and they began to persecute, including Paul was a part of that. And in that persecution, the people went. Acts chapter eight, verse four, which we'll get to to later on, it tells us about the persecution, that those 5,000 were were scattered. But this is what was so beautiful about them being scattered outside of Jerusalem. It says, as they went, they took the good news. That's an important part. That's movement, right? As they went, that's movement. As they were going, they took the gospel. As they went to a new town, they took the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ. As they were maybe driven out of that one, they went to another. And every place they went, they started a fire burning through the Spirit of God in the hearts of people who long to know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God used that in order to move the gospel throughout the world. It was a gospel as they went of faith in Jesus Christ. It was a gospel of forgiveness that could never happen without Jesus Christ. It was a gospel of hope to the lost and. To to the condemned, it was a gospel of obedience and response to the teachings of Jesus Christ and his lordship. It just wasn't about salvation. It was about becoming his disciple and about being obedient because we love God who first loved us. It was driving and it could not be stopped. And the nations, the nations began to be transformed as, 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 as Paul was. And Saul and Paul now transformed and taking the gospel and all through into the Gentile word, and it trans into Rome and Rome, and it began to change a nation, a nation. A nation by military power, took over so much of what we know of our early world history. And that nation was conquered by a risen savior. Jesus permeated the gospel and changed and transformed the world and the nations as we know it in the world history as you study it. It's important for us to see that God was working in through all those moments, and the church gave birth. The church became strong. The church wasn't perfect. The church is still not perfect But the church through history grew and it became awakened and it became to move and to to work through Europe and to all the world. It was a gospel through by century by century God used men and women willing to be used to advance. Not a nation, not a culture, but a kingdom. A kingdom that permeated culture. A a kingdom that was greater than any single nation. A, A kingdom for all people, a kingdom for all generations, a kingdom for all economic status, a kingdom for all genders. This is a kingdom that landed on our footsteps. It it spread throughout Europe, Asia, Africa, the continents, the Americas. But in the midst of it all, of interpreting what God gave us of the early church, things began to, to look different not quite what scriptures looked like. And people who had God's word began realizing to the church, listen, this isn't what I see. And even today, when we read the book of Acts, I think you'll agree with me. We go, this isn't the church I see in Acts. And how do we get back to the church of Acts? How do we, in my heart, begin to be a follower? Not, maybe it looks different on a Sunday morning, but how do I live like one who lived and followed Christ throughout the first century. How can I be faithful? How can I be on fire? How can I allow God to use me? And in 1801, God was stirring in the heart of two Presbyterian ministers, two guys that weren't even close to each other. Their names were Alexander Campbell and Barton W. Stone. And what they saw was that the traditions of man had risen in authority and power much higher than the word of God itself. And they began to look and they realized that they wanted to be and be Christians only not the only Christian, so they believed that God was working in, in all forms and all denominations, but they realized that the, the scriptures had been forgotten, the gospel had been forgotten, that baptism by immersion had been forgotten, that the truth of the gospel of the salvation and the lordship of Christ had been forgotten, and they had a heart to return back to that, and they began preaching and teaching and raising up. And It was later, in Kentucky, in eighteen. 18- God continued to move because it was in that Kentucky at Cane Ridge revival. I'm telling you right now, our, our, our Christian church now, uh, as we look at it now, would probably be stunned by what happened at Cane Ridge. Because when you look in the studies and read of that, I know for you all, you'll be thinking, you know, Cain Ridge was no big deal. The Spirit moved so greatly. Thousands upon thousands showed up that day. And thousands upon thousands began to be transformed by the power of God and awakened. The Spirit began to move like it did in Acts 1. And it began to move in the people as they sought God. And as they left Cain Ridge, a movement began. That movement we call the restoration movement. To restore us back to scriptures, to restore us back to unity amongst our churches. Now, we have not always been successful to that mantra, but God calls us to be faithful to that and to, and to, to honor him in that. And that movement of, of, of Christians and disciples grew. It grew from the 1800s, from 25,000 to now over 7 million. That's movement. That's God moving in a grand way, and somewhere along that way, in that history, about the same time, a handful of families from of Ohio came and settled, guess where? Right here in Plainfield, Indiana. They did. Early 1800s, they came over from Ohio. They had some influence. They had some burning in their own hearts of returning back to what God's scriptures taught and using God's word as the foundation for that. And as they settled into the Plainfield area, they began to meet in their homes. It was in 1825, actually, when when they first started. Plainfield Christian Church was not incorporated as a church until 1829. And what's so amazing, families, families of young believers when I read through the history, uh, there's two families, uh, more than two families, but some of them were the Hadleys and the Hornadays. As a matter of fact, right now, as we sit here, they are buried across the street in Plainfield Cemetery. You can go there right after church. You want to go find them? You'll find them. And they're part of the, and this is what's so cool. You know how old they were? This blew me away when I, re, I was researching this. You know how old they were? 17 families in 1829 started, majority of them were in their 20s. I always pictured them in their 50s. Don't ask me why. I loved it when I found out that they were in their 20s. These were young husbands and wives that knew that God needed to have be honored and glorified and worshipped, and they began a movement in 1829. Started with 17 of those families, and to now God has continued to move through His Holy Spirit, where there are over 2,500 disciples of part of Plainfield Christian Church, which includes us. Seven years ago, this campus was started. Seven years ago, another few families, Steinborns, the Brewers, the Coombs, there, there are others. I, I know I've, as soon as I mentioned one, if you forgive me, I did not name you. But I want to tell you, you took a step of faith. You moved out, you trusted, and you saw God beginning to work and to move in a new way. And you said, I want to be used that way. One by one, one by one. Think of Tom and Liz. One by one, God began calling in your heart to be used to advance the gospel, to move it. And you know what? That's what God's still doing and moving. One by one, spurring with inside of us. There's, there's a word in the King James that I think is one of the funniest words. Um, and it's a part out of the scriptures. It's, a, it's an old English word. It's the word begat. Remember that? Remember anybody had the old King James? You know, you're going back to Matthew 1, and you begin reading the part of scriptures that you usually don't read, right? It's the genealogy of Jesus, and it just, you know, you start reading and it just starts Abraham begat Isaac and Isaac begat Jacob. You got to use some deep voice. I don't know why, but you, you know, when you read that, you think of this deep voice in your head. And then Jacob begat Esau and it goes begat, begat. It's a funny word, you know? I think begat. And it's an English word. It just gives birth. And it's the story of reproduction, it's the story of, of new life, right? It's a story of excitement because there's this new being that has come to full life. And when I think of that word, I think of it in a new way. I think of it in spiritual birth. Who begat you? Who spiritually spoke into you? Who was involved with God's story before you knew God? Who was the person that God brought around you to speak of Jesus? Who gave you spiritual birth? Was it your parent? Was it a friend was it a sibling, was it a grandparent, was it a stranger? I don't know your story, but see, this is where your story and my story enters into God's story. And we begin to think back and think, God, you were moving before we even started. You were moving in a way that, 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 that you knew that, that you have a place for me, that God began spiritual birth. So this is the part of our story. We think, this is great. I'm, I'm all in, in on the story. But the question I have for you now is this. Who are you begatting? I don't even know if that's a word. Who are you giving birth to? Who are you spiritually influencing? Who is God calling you right now, right now, in your life, in your world, whether it's a neighbor, it's a coworker, whether it's a sibling of your own, whether it's your own child, whether it's your parents, that God has gone, I want you to love them the way I want you to love them in order that they may know me because there's fuller life that they've not experienced yet. And without Christ, there's only death. And so when we think about God moving, we gotta think of God moving not only in the past, but God moving in the present. So what do we learn from this history? Some of you may be going, history, history, history. I'm telling you, we need to learn some things through history. What does it leave us today? Romans 15, four tells us this. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. See, I, we need to realize this morning, I don't know where you're at in your journey of faith. You may look in this, this past year and you know, go, This is the most difficult journey time of your life. You're wondering if God even exists. You're struggling with, with your own walk and faithfulness to Him. You're, you're struggling maybe with your own sin and you're going, I, I don't know about God. I'm going to tell you something right now God is faithful to you, God has not gone away. God is, is not turned away from you, but God pursuing you. He loves you, and he is faithful to carry out what he has started, and this teaches us that we might not, we have hope, but we may be reminded. God started something, and he will finish it. He will not walk away in the midst of the plan, but he will finish strong. God is faithful to carry us out. Philippians chapter one, verse six says this. Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus God's faithful; He will carry it out. So, what's my part? What do I need to do? Well, this is the first thing I think we need to do: pay attention. If something seems to be moving slow, then slow down and pay attention. Be perceptive. We're easily distracted when it comes to God. We're easily chase things we shouldn't chase, and we stop being intimate with God because we think life's too big and there's too many things to chase. And I'm telling you right now, if you want to see God move, then you're going to have to stop and you have to pay attention. And so we need to ask as we move into this year, God, open my eyes to see you. I want to see how you're moving in in, in the world around me. And say, God, show it to me. Let me see it. I wanted my eyes to be open, and we need to keep our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Two, not only do we need to pay attention, but we need to participate. We need to participate. Because that thing is, oh, I see God moving. We can do that. That's so good. I go to church. I sit, I go, I worship. I see God moving. It is great. I'm so glad what my church is doing. I'm so glad what they're doing over there. God, you are so good. You see, we can cruise as a Christian and watch what God's doing and never participate. It's easy, isn't it? But God didn't call us to that. He called us into a discipleship relationship and he says, I need you to see me so that you'll participate with me. And God goes, come to me, follow me, serve me, learn from me. Let me shape you, let me challenge you, let me call you out of your comfort zones. Let me do within inside of you, that, that which I desire to do. Submit to me, and God goes, participate with me in what I need to do. There are people that are lost, that are dying, and that are going to hell because we're too comfortable with seeing what God's doing, but not participating with what God's doing. In church, we need to be awakened today. We need to be awakened in our heart and awakened in our vision awakened in order that we may continue to God. But I love the stories I hear from you over the last year. As I, as I preach this, I am in my mind running through stories of how you encounter neighbors. And I, I hear stories of what you're doing. I, 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 hear of, I hear of a few, a lot of you don't even know this. and I don't mean to embarrass you. I don't want names, but I didn't know this was happening. Someone two years ago came to our Christmas shop. And that person, they, they're not worshiping with us here today. But they came, and that person came, somehow started a relationship with one of you, and over the last year and a half, two years, you have been there for them in all kinds of ways, and you've prayed for them, and you've loved them. You are living out this. It's beautiful. I hear of you in your homes, and friends, and neighbors, and apartments, and I hear how God is working and moving in you. And there's joy in my heart to know that as I say these things, this is who you are. And this is what you're doing. Participate with him. Never quit. Never stop. Until you take your last breath. Participate with what God is calling you to participate in. And the third simple small thing is this. Partner. You see, we can't carry this out on our own. We can't go, all right, God, I got the plan. Here we go. No, we need to stay connected with the Father. We cannot be separated from him. We cannot isolate ourselves from him. But we must remain in him because without him we can do nothing We can't fulfill the commission on our own. So this morning, I encourage you, I encourage you to let God, first of all, move in your own life, to trust him and his redemption and salvation. And maybe this morning you don't know him at all. Maybe you have never given your life to him at all. And I want to encourage you today that you've, if you've never made the confession of Jesus Christ as your Lord, if you've never been immersed in the waters of baptism, then you are still outside of God's grace. You may know him from a distance, but if you have never said, I'm all in, and I confess you, then God is calling you to do that. Make that decision. Don't wait. Don't hold off. Because, because his, love, his love calls you. The question is, what, how do you respond? We would love to walk with you through that process so that you can experience a true fullness of life and this journey of sharing the gospel with others. And maybe this morning you say, that, you know, I'm just kind of this in my faith. Well, it's time to stop. It's time to take, be intentional. It's time to ask God to awaken with inside your own soul what he calls you to. We love the Lord. We're gonna sing this morning as we head into this communion time. We're just going to love him, and we're going to honor him. Let me just pray. Father God, we come before you, and we thank you for your love and your salvation. Do in us what you did in the early church. May your spirit flow in us and move out of us. Father, may we not reject you, but, Father, may we embrace you. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you for allowing us to know you. And Father, because of that, may we respond with our whole heart, our whole life. Use us in Jesus' name.